Well, didn't I tell you that was a great youth band? Man, that, that was probably the best I've ever heard of a youth band. Uh, and also the testimonies, weren't they great? And scripture reading and everything that's going on, just one, yes, give them a round of applause. Don't let, don't, just go ahead and interrupt me. And um, I know you're awaiting with anticipate, anticipation on who the next generation preacher was going to be. And I hate to let you down, but it's just me. Uh, you know, as we do these, we'll, we'll add something to the service each time and, and kind of expand things. But I do want to address the next generation church because I've read a lot of articles, uh, I really have, and, and talked to a lot of people about what the next generation, millennial generation, and those that come behind them are looking for in a church and demanding, really, in, in some senses, that a church should be. It's amazing to me, as I study the book of Acts, it's a, pretty much the same church. The first generation church was, uh, is, we're all longing for that once again. And so I want you to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 2. The scripture was just read in a wonderful way just a few moments ago. And so as we open up our Bibles to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 2, a familiar passage to some people, some people not so much, but here we find that um, the attitude of the church or toward the church has changed a lot, even in the last 10 or 15 years. It used to be, as if you've heard already up here, in some parts of the uh, country, kind of still is, is you're, you're kind of expected to go to church. I mean, it's just something you do when your neighbors look at you and say, I'm, I thought they were supposed to be a Christian. They expect you to be going to church in the morning. And it used to be the number one day to be sick of all the days of the week used to be Sunday, Right? Man, I'm just too sick to go to church. It's too sick. And then you felt kind of guilty, and you felt like, well, I can't go to Walmart either. You know, somebody see me, and, you know, I'm supposed to be sick, and so I won't go. Now people just don't care. I mean, they ride their bicycles by here on Sunday morning waving at us, you know. And, you know, the, the guilt is just kind of gone, and the expectation is kind of missing. Uh, the typical, I, I heard just the other day, a, a friend of mine read me a, a little article, said only about 40, about typical believer that feels like they're really committed, only goes to church about two out of five Sundays, uh, two out of every five Sundays, about 40%. Kind of hard to grow that way and kind of hard to see maybe the value in the church. Maybe that's part of the problem. We don't see the value and what the vision is all about. Well, as we look at um, Acts chapter 2, please understand, you know, my feelings and things. You know, I, I know I come to you a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, every preacher wants everybody to come and hear them preach. I mean, come on. You know, and so I come a little biased or whatever, but, but really I want to come at it very scripturally this morning, very theological, theologically as well as we look at the scriptures. But I feel like God is really doing something really special here. I mean, you hear about the reports of kids camp, you hear the reports of VBS, Vacation Bible School just a few uh, weeks ago, and all those kids, 60-something, 70-something uh, children coming to know the Lord. But also 48 people were baptized uh, last baptism Sunday in May. Big, huge crowd on Easter Sunday, and then we've had more visitors come uh, since Easter Sunday than any other two or three month period that I can ever remember as being a pastor of the church. At least it goes all the way back to the 90s, I'm sure. And so God is doing a work here. If you don't feel that, if you don't sense that, I'm going to challenge you this morning to sense that as we look at the next generation, what the church really ought to be as we look at three things this morning. First of all, I do want us to see the value of the church. I want us to see, secondly, the voice of the church, what we're supposed to do, and, and what kind of testimony we're supposed to be in the world. And then thirdly, the vision of the church. 
And so as we look at this, Jesus Christ has already died on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day. He was ascended up into heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2 to come down upon the church and indwell believers every, there on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people, according to the Bible, were saved on the very first day. Now, what do you do with 3,000 people? Well, first of all, I want us to look at the, the value of it. And how many, let me ask you this. How many, raise your hand. If you've ever been to Bible college or seminary, anybody here? Bible college seminary. There's a few here, a few over here. I want to ask you to go to seminary class just for a moment because I'm going to teach you something just about the church as a whole for just a moment. Leave the passage just a moment come back to it. I know that <clears throat> I, I had the privilege of going to uh, a Bible college and a seminary. And one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Gerald McGraw, who retired, was living in Deland, Florida, right up the road, uh, recently died. In fact, this past week he passed away and had been experiencing Alzheimer's for several years. The funniest story I've ever heard about Dr. McGraw when I was going to school there, this happened, where um, a young man had pulled an all-nighter, and he was so sleepy, he actually laid his head down on the desk. So he made no pretense about going to sleep at all in class. And this was not unusual because, you know, I, I pulled a few all-nighters myself. You know, you, you do work at the last minute that you put off, put off, put off, put off. Am I speaking to anybody here at all? Okay, and so uh, this guy was laying his head down on the desk, and Dr. McGraw just kind of ignored it and just went on with his lecture. There was about 30, 40 people in the class. Well, he paused a moment in his lecture for whatever reason, and the guy behind his friend, the guy behind the guy who went to sleep, tapped him on the shoulder, and he said, Dr. McGraw has called on you to pray. <laughs> and so this guy jumps up out of his seat because praying in our class, I mean, was was not unusual. We always prayed to the first of it anyway. He jumps up out of his seat and prays this beautiful, oh, gracious Heavenly Father. I, he prayed for Dr. McGraw, and he prayed for, for, the, for the school, and he prayed for the missionaries, and he, he was all over the world. And finally, he just said, amen, sat down, and all the, all the class just kind of looking, and Dr. McGraw, in his dry sense of humor, said, well, does anyone else feel led? <laughs> and so, watch it going to sleep here. Somebody might tap you on the shoulder. You know, that's all I got to say. Well, we look at the value of the church. Now, the word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means called out ones. Say that with me, called out ones. Who, who are you? Uh, who are you? Called out from what? You're called out from darkness. You're called out of the world and the world's way of living into a godly way of living. And so the Bible tells us that we are, according to the Scripture, the called out ones, the ecclesia of God. Now, we understand there's two different types of churches mentioned in the Bible. One's the universal church. One is the local church. The universal church is everyone who has been saved since the day of Pentecost. Everybody. Of all nations anywhere in the world, if you have received Jesus into your heart, you're part of the universal church. How do you become a part of the universal church? By receiving Christ, by calling on his name, by him coming into your life and your heart. Now, the local church, on the other hand, is, is us and many other churches even around the Oviedo, Winter Springs, and uh, Bithlow, and Christmas area, and all around here that we, we have. Now, each one, to get to become a member of a certain church, it, it just depends on what church that is. For us, we ask you, first of all, to be saved, be part of the universal church, that you know, your name's on the church roll in heaven, that you've been born again, regenerated, however you want to put that, 
and you've received Jesus into your heart. Number two, that you've been baptized. Number three, uh, that you have gone through one of our membership classes, so you'll understand what's going on, and we have one of those coming up in two weeks. And so you have a universal church, and you have a local church. Now, this church is very, very valuable to Christ. In fact, listen to what it says in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the church. Revelations 2 and 3, we studied that last winter, where Jesus was walking counterclockwise through the church, seven churches at Asia Minor, and he was walking through them. He was evaluating them, always with them, always with us, always evaluating, always helping us, always correcting us because he cares about us. And then the Bible says that Christ protects the church. Now, there's many different words and many different analogies or illustrations in the Bible about church. We're called, first of all, the body, for example, the body of Christ. I love that one. The body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it says, hey, look, you have a spiritual gift. I have a spiritual gift. We all have talents and gifts that we offer to the kingdom of God, to offer to Christ. We're part of the body. Christ is the head. We're part of the body. Some of you are the fingers. Some of you are the the hand. Some of you are the arm. Some of you are the leg. None of us are the same body part necessarily, but we all belong to the same body. We're all unified together. Then we're called a building, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I like that one because it has the idea of building block upon block upon block upon block, and, and we're all growing in the Lord. And then we're called the sheep. This has to do with following Christ in John chapter 10 and Christ's care for us. That The Bible even said he would, he would leave the 99 and go after the one. So he cares for us. Number uh, Another one, family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, sometimes you can look at it and say we're closer in some ways to uh, our, our uh, heavenly brothers and sisters, those who have received Jesus into their heart, than we are those that are earthly brothers and sisters if they have not made that decision because we're close to them for all of eternity. It speaks of family, of kinship. And then the bride of Christ, Ephesians 5, speaks of the intimacy, the submission that we have to Jesus Christ. And, of course, the branches. People say, well, you know, it's not, it's not just about succeeding, not about bearing fruit or, or making a big show or, or anything, just about being faithful. Well, here's what happens when you're faithful. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, that is connected to me in a permanent way, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it tells us right there that we're the branch attached to Christ, and if we're in him, we're going to bear much fruit. If we're not, we can't do anything at all. There's nothing really we can do that's going to be, have eternal consequences for us. And so we find we're a value to Christ. Well, also in this classroom, we need to understand that we're a value to the believer as well. You're a Christian here today. You've received Christ into your heart. Well, this is where you come to learn about God's Word. In fact, you probably came that had something to do, connected some way to the church, whether it's a church, parachurch, that those organizations that are called alongside Christ, all of it comes really out of the original uh, universal church. You've been connected to the church some way to come to salvation in Christ. But also, that's how you learn. That's how you and I grow in the Word of God. It's a place that we gain strength from others. It's a place that we have service and evangelism, that we can have a platform to go out into the world and make a difference. 
And so it's a, a value to us. It's also a value to the world. The church is made, let me just say this, church is made up of people, and therefore we fail sometimes. In fact, because we're made up of people, we're subject to corruption, loose focus, hip, hypocritical actions, and lives, unloving, lethargic. In fact, you look down through church history, and we get further and further away from God, and God does something like the Reformation, brings us back, does something else like evangelicalism, he brings us back. We, we are always moving toward and away from the fire and away from the passion of God until God brings us back. But the Bible says when we're together, we're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world. Salt. That's something, Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus says we're the salt of the earth. That is, we're the preservative of the earth. Remember the story maybe in the Old Testament where God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, if I can find ten righteous people, then I will not destroy Sodom. Well, he couldn't find them. And we, we can all talk about America. We can talk about the world. We can talk about the, the world, the condition the world is in. We can talk about the growing of, of atheism and hatred toward Christianity. Hey, listen, God can find the ten. And the ten, meaning the Christians, are the ones that are preserving the world. And then also we're the light of the world. We are to bring the gospel. That is the singular business of the church. Bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Those who need to know Christ the way we know him. Now, you look at this. What would Oviedo be like if there were never any churches here? Oh, my. It'd be horrible. What if First Baptist Oviedo had not been here? Baptizing almost 5,000 people during these last 25 years. What about that? What about the missionaries that we've sent out? What about the pastors that we've sent out? What, what would the world be like? And what would the world be like without us doing our job and <clears throat> have the passion for God in the future? Well, we looked at theologically in a little classroom, but what about the text? What about the voice of us as a church? Notice in verse 41, it says, So then those who had been received his word, these 3,000, and that they were at about 3,000 souls. They continually devoting themselves. Now, this word devote has the idea of a single-minded fidelity to something. Uh, the church grew explosively. 3,000 people. The next sermon was 5,000 people. Wow, how would you like to be in a revival like that? What was happening here? Well, the main reason was the Holy Spirit had come down for the very first time and indwelt the common man, the common believer in Christ. Not just a king, not just a prophet, but the common man. Another reason, however, is that we're so sold out. There's something attractive about someone who's all in. There's really something attractive about a group of people that are all in for something, that are devoted totally in their heart toward something the way these people were with Jesus Christ. And it attracted people from all over. And so we look at this and we, we understand they were devoted, but devoted to what? Let me give you quickly five things. They were devoting themselves, first of all, it says to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because beliefs determine behavior. We're in a day today that people are, are doubting God's word. I was reading an article the other day where one pastor, one very famous pastor, saying he no longer says the Bible says this because nobody believes it anymore. And so he, he quotes a different individual. Another guy says that uh, is less famous but has a very large church. Um, somewhat north of here. I mean, everything's north, right? <clears throat> you know, we're in Florida. But it's somewhat north of here has said that 
Um, he doesn't, he believes that we read the Bible too much and we preach on the Bible too much. It's a pastor. And he says, we parse this verb and we do this and we do this. God never meant for us to do that. It's just a book for that day. Listen, that is just old-fashioned liberalism. Theological liberalism that has taken, that has deadened the church over and over and over and over again. And so we have in this, it's the same, it's the same method of, of, of operation that Satan has always said. What do you do? Go to Eve first. He says, Hath God said? Has he really said this? See, Satan's MO is this. He doubts God's word, then he causes you to deny God's word, then he replaces God's word with some new philosophy. And we see this happening. John Dickerson has said the number one reason why young people drop out of church is that they do not believe it anymore. They just don't believe it. And yet, we're, we're looking at the Scripture, and, and let me just say this. I'm going out on a limb here a little bit. I hope you understand what I'm saying what I'm not saying. But to me, all right, just putting logic in it, just for a moment. We have a God that is sovereign over the universe. We have a God that is all-powerful. And he's proven himself to care about us. Otherwise, he would not send his son to die on the cross for us. So he wants to be a part of our life. Why would he want to give us a book that had a bunch of errors in it? That we wouldn't know how to live. Or a book that we don't even have a book. We just have a history book. Why would God do something like that? If God would do something like that and not give us some kind of wisdom, some kind of guidance in life, some some some. Some place where we can say, okay, if we do this, we know we're pleasing God. We we know that we're obeying the Lord. If He won't even go to the trouble to doing that, then how can we really trust Him? How can we really trust Him? And that's what young people are saying today. We don't believe it. Therefore, how can we ever trust Him? It's just logical. But the Bible says this all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Listen, the only way I know that we have a loving God is what the Bible tells me. No other book in antiquity tells us that God is a loving God. Nothing. There's no religion in the world, past, present, or really probably in the future, that's really going to tell us, oh, God loves you. It's just the Bible. Usually, Greek gods and Babylonian gods, they were all about wrath. They were all about serving the, the most important people, and they were all about wrath. The only way you know that there's a loving God is in the Bible. All the Bible is right. All the Bible is correct. And I'm not coming from, you know, just to let you know where I'm coming from. Yes, I do have a Bible college degree. Yes, I do have a seminary degree. Yes, I do have a doctrine. I'm not an idiot. I'm just not saying this just to be saying it. I've studied the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. If, if it is not the Word of God, if it does contain errors, what are we doing here? Why are we even here? I don't get it. For community, well, that's one of the points I want to go over, but why are we even here? Why not just have a social club? I believe that God is sovereign enough, he is powerful enough, and he does love us enough to give us a book that does not contain errors to give us a a way in which we are off focus and off the way and, and off the trail of where we need to be with Jesus Christ. He gives us what we need. And you come to church and you learn that. And you learn what it says. Most people don't know the Word of God. They don't know it. I was reading an article the other day where it said that um, 
most people have no idea that Jonah and the great fish came from the Bible. They, they know about Jesus and Mary, but that's about it. In fact, many people surveyed, about one-third of the people surveyed thought that the Hunger Games was a Bible story. So you come to learn it. Then secondly, you also have a connected community. Look with me. It says, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Fellowship with one another, a connection, a community of doing life together. This, comes, this fellow, word fellowship comes from a Greek word in the original language here of the New Testament, koinonia, which means to make community or doing life together. Bernard Burleson said that isolation is a problem. Total isolation is virtually always an intolerable situation for the human adult, even when physical needs are met. Now, I've shared with you this story before, and you can read about this story in the book Dropping Your Guard by Chuck Swindoll. And uh, back during the Western days, when they were going out west for the first time, they gave tracts of land away for about 150 acres of land, away to people, all they had to do is go out and claim it. So Oklahoma, Kansas area. And so they went out and they claimed 150 acres of what kind of land? The best kind. What kind of land is this? It's free. <laughs> best kind. And so they went out and they claimed this free land. Now, if you had free land, or in fact, whether you had it free or not, if you had 150 acres of land, you would probably going to have to farm it. You, you wouldn't, no, no days back there for condos. But um, no market for them. You're going to farm it. So you put your barns in the middle. You put your house in the middle. So you could look out and say, hey, I own all this stuff. But also, strategically, you'd want to be in the middle so you could farm all the land. And that's what people did. And the Eastern reporters came back because it was a big deal. It was a big story. They wanted to know how they were faring. So they went out and they found uh, women that had just gone crazy and wild. They had long fingernails, screwed up kind of fingernails, coiling, um, children running around naked in the yard. They, they had no social um, barriers in their life, and they eventually lost their minds. The people who made it abandoned their barns and their houses and came to the corner of their property, and a community of four families were able to make it together, together. All through the Bible, all together, 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 together. Why? We are made for other people. The Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit come together. They're three persons in one. How did God love anyone before he made man? It was a love relationship within himself. He's community together. And we're community as a body of Christ. Well, not only community. After all, the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're going to have a small group emphasis, by the way, in the fall, and I would invite you to be involved in that. Then we have relentless prayer. Look, look in verse 42. We need to be praying together. He says, breaking of bread and to the prayer. Jeremiah 20, 33, 3 says, call unto me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Every Sunday morning, we start a prayer time. And maybe this is one of the reasons, another one of the reasons why God is moving in our church so much. Right over here in the hospitality center, you're, you're invited to come. 8 o'clock to 9.15, there's a prayer meeting just kind of come and go, back and forth. Chairs are, I noticed in between services, the chairs were still set up in there for that prayer meeting. People are praying for you. People are praying for those that will come to that first service as well. Those are in, in Bible study. 
praying together. Ephesians tells us, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. And pray on my behalf, Paul says, with utterance it may be given to me in the opening of my mouth when I preach, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He asked for this prayer right here, right after he explained spiritual warfare in the armor of God. We are, in, we are in spiritual warfare, folks. Satan's attacking us all the time. How do you get God to do really something great? Don't you want God to do something great in your life? Say amen. amen. You, got, you want God to do something great in your life? Say amen. amen. How are you going to do that? You're going to ask. You're going to ask. You're going to pray. Henry Blackaby has said, if God does not come down and intervene, nothing of value will happen. Fourthly, next generation church is crying out for a church that will have compassionate ministry. Verse 44, and all those who had believed were together and all things common. And they began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. Now, let me give you a little background about how, uh, what was happening. What, what was different about that day and this day? Back in that day, okay, you, you were saved, and maybe you were saved on the day of Pentecost. You're one of the 3,000. So you go to church for the first time, and all this gathering, people praising God, people worshiping God. Then you begin to look around you at the people that you're worshiping with. Well, you have a home. In fact, you, had, you have money in the bank, um, two fine camels, and you know, to ride on. The guy beside you hadn't eaten, eaten any, any food in a couple of days. Person over here has no water, clean water to drink. Person over here has babies that have needs. And so you're sitting, the few are sitting among the people, the masses that have nothing. And that's an intolerable situation for you. So you go out and sell everything you have and distribute it among those who are in need. Different day. But let me share with you, there was a, a man at Yale University by the name of uh, Kenneth Scott uh, Lauderette. And he, said, he studied early Christianity. And I'm not even sure if this man is a believer, but he studied early Christianity. He said there were three big differences between Christianity and the rest of the religions and the rest of the people in the world back in that day. Number one, they died better than anybody else. I don't know if that was Lion's Den or whatever it was, but they died Praising God. Secondly, they were more inclusive than anybody else. Nobody ever heard of including all the races together or men and women together or honoring women. That came from the Bible. That came from Christianity. But lastly, they cared more. That was a story of the Black Plague. The Black Plague came and people would leave, actually leave their, their loved ones in the street to die and they would head to the mountains to get away so they would not get the black plague. It was the Christians, the church, that stayed behind and not only cared for their own, but went out into the street and got those that were not a part of their family and tried to nurse them back to health. Totally different. A compassionate ministry. One that, that helps the poor. Helps the needy. Helps the mentally disabled. And yes, and I'm going to get in trouble with somebody for this one. Listen to me very carefully. You love those who disagree with you. That's a compassionate ministry. You love those who disagree with you. A friend of mine has a church 
other side of town. He was telling me recently that one of his um, members, um, a lady in his church, who worked for one of the theme, she worked for one of the theme parks, and she was getting persecuted by her boss. Her boss did not believe in really very hostile toward faith, hated her pastor, kind of, I guess, well-known on that side of town, and hated her pastor, and was persecuting her, looking for a reason to fire her. And uh, because of her uh, orientations to certain things and, and all that, and her, I guess her atheism too, uh, she just wanted her gone. And so she fired her. And so the, the young lady, the Christian lady, appealed to HR, and HR began to look through her files and found really a couple of dozen commendations that were never shared with her by her boss. And it became really evident through just a little bit of research that the boss was persecuting, unjustly persecuting this woman for her faith, and they fired her boss, and we're going to promote her. But she, the Christian, intervened for her boss and said, please don't fire her. Please don't give her another chance. And so she pleaded with them. They gave her, they did demote the, the boss, but they gave her another chance. Through that, this Christian lady was, was able to witness, share Christ with her ex-boss, bring her to church. She received Christ, had not seen her family in two years, went back to her family, her husband and her kids, reunited with them, got remarried, and are, and are, are active in that church today. And this all just happened here in the last year. And you say, well, how? When you, you've got people that disagree with you, what do you do? Oh, you just love them. Well, how do you do that? You serve them. You treat them like they're your, your kinfolk, like they're family. You treat them like you would want them to treat you, just like the Bible says. Compassionate ministry. And lastly, look with me in verse 47. They were also praising God. They had a, a worship experience that celebrated the beauty of God. And dear friends, anytime you see something of beauty, what do you have? You have hope. It just gives you hope. Yeah, you're down the beach and it's, it's, it's just wonderful, the beauty. It gives you hope. And the beauty of the Lord, it shines forth when we worship. Well, lastly this morning, as I just finish up, we need a church and the next generation of vision. After all, vision means something of the future. And so we need to look toward the future, and we need an outward vision and really an inward vision as well. An outward vision, our mission here is building lives that matter by leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. What are we saying? We're here to lead people to Christ and to grow them up. That's the mission of the church. Should be the mission, really, of every church. Now, I know that you may think that we've done some, some pretty... Uh, crazy things here and make some strange decisions. And maybe we could have, you know, in the past, you know, prepared you for that a little bit better. I don't know. But you say you made some strange decisions. You start a satellite church. You, you change the name. You, you do, we do this. We do that. We start a mission church. And I mean, so, listen, you may disagree with some of the things and you may not, but you may disagree. But here, here's the thing. Please don't ever misunderstand it was always going after the one. Jesus said, leave the 99. You don't literally just doesn't leave them behind. You got shepherd boys, you got sheep dogs, you got people who are really watch, uh, things, watching after those sheep. It just simply means leave, leave what you want. Leave what your preferences are. The 99 and go after the one. We've always gone after the one. Who is the one? 
Well, Mikey, at one time, not too long ago, was the one. Mark was the one. Katie has been the one. Dallas, who is now our vice, vice chairman of our deacons, was the one several years ago. Lily has been the one. Will was the one. Luz was the one. Brian, recently baptized. You heard his testimony. He's, he was the one. Now, what about you? Now, you think about it for just a moment. If we had sacrificed all these years, not just one or two, we've changed, made so many adjustments and changes over the years. In the last 24 years, you just haven't, haven't noticed because things were just kind of maybe different or whatever in your mind, in your heart. Maybe you were a little bit younger, whatever it was. And, but if we'd have remained the same, some of these people would have never been the one. They would have never received Christ. So you leave the 99, in a sense, and you go after the one. Who else? Well, Morgan has been the one. She's an intern here now. Ron Sprinkle, who was as a Sunday school teacher. Ava Grace was the one. Kendall, college student, was the one. Edie was the one. Ian was the one. 5,000 ones. And who's the next one? Who's the next one? Because that is the business of the church. But also an inward vision, because you're, you're sitting back there thinking to yourself, well, yeah, but, you know, um, I, I know all that, but, but, you know, sometimes it gets too cold in here and sometimes I'm too hot, the music's too loud, the music's too soft, and it's this and it's that, and, you know, it's just not the way it used to be, and, you know, some of my friends have moved off, and yeah, I think I'll try another church. Let me share with you this, folks. You try another church, I guarantee you, whatever church you, you try, it's going to be the same in the sense of, gee, we're human, and we make mistakes, and, and there's going to be problems there. Don't, you didn't hear it from here. All right. There's going to be problems. And it's just like if I can meddle a little bit, it's just like a man comes up and says, uh, you know, I'm kind of tired of... Uh, the old ball and chain and wife, and I'm going to go out and look for a new wife. Okay, what are you going to do different? They said, well, I'm just going to go out and look for a new wife and be, be like this. And No, you're not going to do that. You're gonna, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go to the gym, right? You're going to lose some of that weight, lose that tummy off, grow some new hair, whatever. <laughs> you're you're going to do a little bit better hygiene and uh, sharper clothes and well, that's not going to do it. Well, what else can you do? Well, I, I, I don't know. I can, I can take the, the girl I'm courting out on dates. Yeah. Open the door for her. Listen to her. Women like that. Listen to them. I can do that for a little while. I can do that. Now, here's my only question to that. Why don't you do that with the woman you have now? Just a thought. Ladies, same way. Why don't you, whatever you would do to catch the guy, the new guy, why don't you do that with the guy you got now? Now, I say all that to say this. Why don't you look at the church you have now that God has called you to with brand new eyes? I was talking to a pastor not too long ago and had a chance. He thought maybe, uh, you know, and I don't, you know, I talked to him, but... Um, 
he's thinking about, well, this church that's kind of kind of talking to him maybe a little bit, they've got a whole new kind of ministry or whatever he's thinking about or whatever, and he's never done this, never done that. And I said, well, what would you do if you went into that church? And he named a bunch. I said, are you doing that now? And in the church you're pastoring now? And he said, well, well no, but I'd do it then. And I said, why don't you try that now and see if your church would change? What if, just imagine if, you were to walk in here next Sunday morning looking at this thing for new eyes. You walked in, you were greeting someone, you think, wow, that person was friendly. Well, you know that person, but pretend you don't. Boy, that person was nice. Man, they were friendly. Or you're a greeter. You greet people like you've never greeted before. You're a teacher. You teach like you've, first lesson you've ever taught. You come to worship and worship, and instead of evaluating and and thinking about the temperature of the room and the loudness of the music, you're you're just getting caught up with everybody around you, and and you're worshiping, and and you're hearing the Word of God preached from this pastor as though you've never heard me preach before. You say, would that make a difference? All I know is I get notes after notes after notes through these cards every single week, stacks of them, saying, I visited the church and it's the best church I think I've ever visited in my entire life. Now, maybe that's not everybody, but I sure do get a lot of cards like that. Of people are looking at things with brand new eyes, kind of like the next generation, the next thing. You say, well, I'd never be the next generation. You know, I'm, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 50s, I'm in my 60s. Yeah, but, but couldn't the rest of your life be the best years of your life? You'll only do the things that you would do if you started over doing something else. So what about you today? What about you? Do you need a brand new start? Love that story about the guy that was uh, um, written up in the newspaper in the obituary column. And he was a little upset about it because he was still alive. And so... uh, he calls up the newspaper and said, you know, you, you really messed up here. You put me in the obituary column. I'm still living. And the guy said, uh, I think you ought to run a retraction. He said, we don't run retractions, but I can tell you what I can do. Tomorrow, I'll put you in the new birth column and give you a brand new start. <laughs> Isn't that what you want? Kind of what just, you know, let's brand new start. Brand new start. And it all begins by receiving Christ. You heard these testimonies today, how these young people received the Lord, about how they came to the realization in their life they needed Jesus in their heart. Why did they come to that realization? Because they believed that Jesus died on the cross for them. He rose again on a brand new day. And a brand new day occurred in their life when they invited him into their heart. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.